I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Mark O'Brien from upstate New York. He'll be talking with us about his interests in the visual arts as well as poetry and reading some poems I know you are going to enjoy. Then we'll take a brief look at Bobby Louise Hawkins, who is a relatively unknown beat poet and novelist who passed away on May 4th. An interesting person worth knowing more about. You're going to enjoy it. Stick around. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Mark O'Brien coming to us from upstate New York. He is a poet who is also interested in the visual arts, takes some really excellent photographs, and he also enjoys writing Haibun lately, a thing he's drifted into in his his poetry life. So we're going to be talking about all these things and hearing some poems. So Mark, I'm glad we're here and we finally got our good old hangout connected. Yeah, cool. All right. So uh, you, you went back and forth, I guess it looked like, from the from the bio information you sent me between writing and visual arts. Is that is that have I got that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when my kids were little, um, I was still very much a, 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 a visual artist. And uh, I kind of I kind of fell into becoming a, a house husband. And it was a lot easier to. Uh, pick up the computer than it was to pick up the paints. So, you know. Yeah. Okay. So you're one of these people who is compelled to create. Yeah. One way or another. Correct. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, You know what I noticed? uh, Something. I I know you're in a poetry group in Voorheesville, New York, which is near Albany, New York, for people who don't know. And if if that means anything. Uh, And also uh, you mentioned your class, a class you were in, which uh, the prof said was an outstanding, like once in a lifetime group of students. Tell me something about that. It's interesting you mentioned two different groups that were very helpful or influential or memorable, whatever you want to say. So tell me about the class. We just somehow ended up with a bunch of people in there that really love poetry. And uh, it was quite a while ago. There was a thing called the gong show on. And uh, <laughs> one day we showed up for class with all everybody in the class had a bag on their head and we went as the unknown poets. <laughs> and, you know, of course, the prof uh, came walking in and he just was was completely surprised to see us all there. I, I think that was uh, uh, 1982 or 83. I think it was 1982. Group has been very important to uh my growth as a poet you you have to i think you have to be able to take some criticism you know you can't you 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 have to learn how to what is it kill kill your demons as 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 they say and and uh um, be willing to do whatever it is that gets you to where you need to be to have a good poem there you go I completely agree. I mean, if, if you're going to a workshop in hopes that everybody will just tell you you're so wonderful, you should probably stay home and let your mom tell you you're wonderful. You know, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to learn anything that way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, how, how about reading this poem? Sure. How about a poem that I wrote back in the beginning of, uh, of that group? Well, sure. 
this uh, makes use of my art background as well in the vocabulary. I, I used uh, creation of a, a, a something in Raku as the motif. The vocabulary kiln. Once the slurry of words infused with grog hardens to wear, you apply lead glaze to the bisque, then carefully lay on a shelf of stone in the traditional method with cones. Heating until polished to a porous unfinish, allowing the words to oxidize with meaning. Next, you remove them from the glowing hot still glimmering. Set them in a galvanized garbage can filled with sawdust, straw, and newsprint making them crackle as they carbonize and blacken to the noir reduction of the fired lexicon. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm not sure I know everything that's going on because I don't know about the, the kiln side of it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I can't visualize exactly what happens when, I guess I don't even know what happens when things oxidize, to tell you the truth. Well, it would, it would go from uh, it would, it's darkens, become carbonizes. Why so I guess I'm, what I'm saying is is I'm I'm, I'm uh, the same thing is true with words and a poem, and in the in the uh, creation of both. So to... this is what that's your why do you call the vocabulary kiln? Uh, because I'm actually taking my words and putting them in the kiln the way I would the. Uh, the uh, piece of ceramics to fire it and glaze it and finish it. Okay, so the, so the vocabulary starts off and as the poem is made, it has a kiln type effect on the words. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Interesting, it's always, it's always interesting when people are in more than one discipline because you can't help bringing things in from one to the other. Yeah. I think. And then that gets us a new insight. I've, I've I've actually played around with stone too. My I I I, uh, I I'm in the process over the last couple of years, a little bit by bit, um, carving my own gravestone, which kind of creeps out my kids. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> you have a poem about that yet? Because that's not a great yet, not yet, <laughs> but it's it's in the works. It's in the works. Uh, it's just floating in the back of your consciousness. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, that is that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, let's hear another one. This is good. All right. Um, when I was a kid, I was uh, I would I, I couldn't read, uh, and we couldn't figure it out. I guess at the time I was mildly dyslexic, and um, my parents, as as a uh, you know, got desperate and sent me to Maria College every Saturday to uh, a nun with a very thick Irish accent. Uh, you know, growing up in an Irish family with, uh, you know, we had uh -huh. the Irish feet priest came to the house once a month and everything. And, and this woman, um, she came up with this idea of how to, um, get me to read, which was way before any of these other ways to do it. You know, she, she uh -huh. started, uh, using kind of a, uh, uh, what do you what do you call it with the uh, the phonic phonics? But she also used rhyming uh -huh. poetry. Huh. And as you, by using rhyming poetry, she taught me how to read and put the love of poetry in in my head at the same time. 
So That's this unique. Poet, yeah, she was she, she was class for a poet into poetry. Yeah, um, rhyming poems with a nun. Yeah. So this 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 poem is about that that sweet weekly agony. Where are you now, Sister Mary Margaret, with your muskery lilt and your sea green eyes? Is it the retirement home, or had you left the order and birthed your own so? Are you sadly gone, contentedly now only, and asleep in the Lord? Do you know I still remember the scented spice of your hand? You laughed and called it Ode to Holy Water. Do you know when my brother stayed home to watch Mighty Mouse, Tom and Jerry, Heckle and Jekyll, I was shucked off to you. And this scared, frustrated kid you taught to read with rhyme came to love you, looking forward eventually, not only to you, but to the poetry as well, the two forever entwined. This endless rhymist you set spinning off through life, a toolkit of words finally grasped only basically within these hands then. Wherever you are now, Sister Mary Margaret, Thank you for the gift of my lifetime. It took all these years to recognize the mustard seed and its sower, but the soil was good and the sower was successful. Amen to that now. Amen and amen. <laughs> That's good. And her, and her comment about the Uda holy water is really, uh, <laughs> says a lot about her sense of humor. Yeah, she had. She had. I mean, that right there, that one line to me says a whole lot about her attitude, which is, Ah, so nice because you you when you when you see this kind of a thing starting up, you wonder, oh my God, is this going to be a terrible experience? You know, yeah, is he going to get his knuckles hit with a ruler or something until he reads it right? <laughs> oh, I had those nuns. I I went to a Catholic school. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. But this woman was uh, real special. Yeah, she had endless patience, and boy, did I give her, <laughs> you know, a hard time. You know. I really wanted to be home watching cartoons with my brother. Sure. Yeah. How, how do you think the reading the poem, the rhyming poems, why does that help you read? Because you kind of halfway know the, what's coming because of the rhyme and, or you can yeah, guess a little yeah, better. I, um, I could count on the, uh, the cadence. I mean, it's an interesting idea. It seems reasonable, but I'm wondering how the process really works in a person's brain. Mm. Uh, something to think about. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It, it was her experiment and I was the, you know, I was the success story, I guess. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah. Before hooked on phonics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before, before all the, 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 the drugs they give kids now and everything and the, you know, the ADD, HD and all that stuff. Right. I, you know, I, who knows? Yeah. You had, you had a human solution instead of a chemical. Uh, exactly. Uh, Exactly. Response, let's say, not solution, but response. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. You also mentioned being really influenced by your brother's record collection. I thought that's. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forget. Do you do music also? Do you play music or sing I or whatever? I do music with my wife. Um, I tried real hard, but uh, began to realize that my I started too late, and my fingers were not made for the for the uh, strings. Okay. So you so were my wife plays and I sing. I I you know I do sing. Oh yeah. 
Good. And you were writing songs too, I presume, back in those those early days. When you oh, were yeah. Really oh yeah. Oh yeah. Music. Yeah. All that uh, mom was in the basement mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement looking uh, for it. <laughs> all that stuff still runs through my head right now, you know? Sure. And it's real po And those early Dylans are really poetic. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'll carry on with those poems. All right. Here's one. Uh, this is how I uh, approach puberty. <laughs> Portrait of the artist as a young man, circa... 1971. My heart, corbelled as it were, in clouds, taken from wind by distance in my head, finds its way into a tangle of branches on mountain's edge and settles in mist above me. This is the place of boyhood dream, come now to roost, tattered and worn like a pair of keds to the phone wire tossed by breeze with every spring when maidens sing songs of desperation, rap at my door, baggage on the lawn, for all to see in drizzling rain as cars pass by. They tempt it with rakes from upturned garbage cans while I stand quiet, peeking behind the curtain, hands on the doorknob, unable to move. You want to tell us more about your teen years there? Yeah, I was always afraid to talk to girls, and you know, <laughs> not uncommon malady with poets. I think with some poets, <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah, poets being shy. Mm. Well, I got over that at at at, at some point, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like I think it was college. I got over that. I went out with, I met my wife, my current wife, and. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then we didn't get to, you know, we both went our separate ways and, and then we found each other again uh, 30 years later. So oh, wow. It's been pretty cool. That is pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. I'm, a, I'm a walking Hallmark card. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> but that's really, that's really great that you guys got back together. Yeah. 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 Do you write poems to her? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're romantic. Yeah, yeah. I'm not allowed to share some of those, though. You know, what? Sure. Another one? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, this one, I actually sent off the poetry magazine, and uh, I got a note back that said, "Was um, we can't use anything that you sent us." I only sent them one poem, <laughs> <laughs> but then um, it. Uh, it won honorable mention in the uh, Bibiazzi uh, contest, so uh, I got uh, enough money to to pay for my major league baseball subscription for the year, and I got to read it at the contest. Hey, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So you know, there's no accounting for taste, even in big poetry yeah. magazines. Yeah. This one is called "It Is in the Shelter of Each Other That People Live." The sound of cars passing reminds me of endless quiet hours spent in doctors' waiting rooms. I don't know why God divided the world into water and land. What a terrible old man I have become. I know it's morning by feeling the shadows. 
I can tell this is not heaven by the color of the paint. I felt something shatter in me and I continued to walk on the pieces in bare feet. There's nothing like the sound of a waiting room. When God divided the world into land and water, why did he put me on land? What a terrible old man I am. The most restful part of the morning happens after the snooze button, when I can feel shadows. If you spin a color wheel, all the colors blend to white. Why would heaven be painted that way? I felt something shatter in me and I could not stop walking. You were lying next to me the last time I heard cars passing in the quiet. I like to look out at the water, but I could never live there. I wish I wasn't so terribly old. Why can't I feel shadows in the night? When you mix all the colors of paint together, you get black, not heaven. Why am I still walking? This was supposed to be a waiting room. I felt something shatter. You kept on talking while I listened to the sound of the cars. I was reminded of a child-sized chair, a tiny table, my mother's arms. What makes me think I'm old? I was convinced at one point that you knew what color heaven was. Now I'm not so sure. If only we could touch each other's morning shadow, we might paint the quiet passing in the night with heaven. And, hey, you know, that is a really interesting poem, uh, the way the lines go together. You know, those different topics are addressed in order. And I don't know, how'd you come up with that one? How, how was the creative process? I, it just, it sort of happened. It needed to be that way. I just started, there was a, a point when I would ruminate on things and just, you know, try to work my way through them by trying to see every line from every possible way that I could mm -hmm. see it. At, at the time I was working with a technique where I would collect lines and um, kind of dice them together like a, uh, a deck of cards, you know, and, mm -hmm. and push them around back and forth until it seemed to say what I wanted it to say. It, it sounds like it, it actually follows a, uh, a technique, a famous technique, but it's not that it's not, uh, it's not a, uh, uh, type it's not the actual poem type of poem where you start every one over with the one that you end with i can't remember the name no. of it right now I'm no it's not it's, it's, it's like the subject matter connects the lines yeah exactly exactly no it's, it's really interesting i think and then in the some kind of a consistent mood comes through that's i think it's another important thing with with poems like this if you don't exactly understand everything that's going on you get a, a tone kind of feeling yeah 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 it's that's it's it's the uh, i spent a lot of time listening to my voice and uh trying to work with the cadence uh and and, and uh, that's essentially where i how i got to this the huh. words on the page began to reflect the uh the, you know the, my thought process yeah I think. yeah 
Very cool. Well, we have time for uh, one more. And you said you have a poem here that's uh, in the upcoming Route 20 anthology. So I suppose that's what we should hear. Oh, cool. Yeah, I grew up uh, off of Route 20, but I was born on Route 20 in Avon, New York, out, uh, out west of here, out near uh, Rochester. Mm -hmm. So I've spent most of my life going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on Route 20 from Albany to to Canandaigua uh, uh, and uh, Canisius Lake. Used to spend summers out there. Still feels like home. You ask any one of my siblings, where's home? They'll say Avon, New York. We mm -hmm. were only there for like five years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sean Piker. I used to live on Route 20, but we called it East Main Street then. My five-year-old self still lives there with my parents and siblings. We moved away. We moved 252 miles and 53 years east. Strange, but I know we're all still alive back then, learning how to swim, ride a bike, running through clouds of DDT, laughing, without the burden of years, distance, or wear and tear on body, mind, and soul. I grew up just off of Route 20, down a side street at the bottom of a hill. It was no East Main Street, that's for sure. One night, someone hit a telephone pole out on the highway. I can't remember what happened, whether they lived, whether they died. What I do remember was the police detoured traffic past our house while the utility company put up a new pole and restrung all the wires. Nothing like this had ever happened on our side street. Suddenly, Route 20 had somehow come to our neighborhood. There was a carnival atmosphere and everything was suspended for the day. We spent hours in lawn chairs drinking lemonade and watching semis go by, waving and motioning with our arms for them to honk their horns and jumping up and clapping when they did. I remember my long dead brothers making a sign that said, caution deer crossing. Then they took turns holding up the sign and very obviously crossing the road with their girlfriends trailing after them. No one got upset. People honked jovially, laughed, smiled, hung out the window and waved. It was a different time. I wish I could go back there. In my mind, I can that description is so vivid in the middle of when it's happening. And, you know, the highway traffic is going through the neighborhood street <laughs> with everybody outside on the lawn chairs and the kids waving and all that stuff. I really get very easily uh, get the visual of that from your description. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, you said lately you've been interested in writing Highbun like this. You want to say a little, little something about what attracts you to Highbun uh, while we just have our last couple of minutes I always here? always wanted to be a novelist, Charlie, but I eventually I realized uh, the okay. short form was me. Uh-huh. You know? And and um, I would write short stories, but I also still love my poetry. I like the condensedness of, of a good poem. Yeah. So when I um, was introduced to the Highbun form, it just seemed to be me. Yeah, I can do both of what I the things that I really love. I can put that 
haiku at the end for the discipline, but I can allow myself the freedom of thought to come up with anything that may have may happen to me in my life for the, yeah. for, the for the memoir part of it. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Well, I'm really glad you could do this uh, and we could uh, hear your poetry and get it out there to the world. I'm Charlie Rossiter. This is Poetry Spoken Here. We've been visiting with Mark O'Brien in upstate New York. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. We've been visiting with Mark O'Brien from upstate New York. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. Now we're going to take a look at a relatively little-known beat poet and novelist, Bobby Louise Hawkins, one of the few women deeply involved with the beat writers. She's written more than 20 books of fiction, nonfiction, poetry, and performance monologues. When she passed away in May of this year at age 87, she merited a substantial obituary in the New York Times. Her first one-woman show of paintings and collages was at the fabulously legendary Gotham Book Mart in New York City way back in 1974. Ms. Hawkins' writing, according to Sam Roberts in the obituary, was stream of consciousness that blended poetry and prose and rang true. Because it often was, he says. She once told an interviewer this, When at one point I started looking back through my stories, I thought, I've almost never written a fictional line in my life. Your mind gets on something and you just meander along with it. I don't think that's fiction. It's all autobiography. She was known as a storyteller and monologist, and according to Anne Waldman, a performer with extraordinary wit and timing who leaves a legacy of written work to be explored, performed, and appreciated by a wide audience. Now, Anne Waldman should know, because back in 1978, she and Allen Ginsberg invited... Hawkins to join the faculty at what was then Naropa Institute at the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics. Hawkins taught there for over 20 years before she retired. When I went to her website just to see what I could learn, yes, her website is there. Just type in her name and you'll get it. Uh, she at one point was posting daily poems. And I thought that was an interesting way for me to quickly get some insight into her. I really had never heard of her, I've got to confess, until I saw the obituary. And so here are just a few of these daily poems. They're short, as you would expect, um, but surprisingly varied for this type of, uh, let's say if it's a type of literature, the daily poem, which usually poets pretty much try to dash out and not make a big thing of. But um, well, here they are. From May 23rd, 2015. A seaside like butter. A seaside like butter, hot and melting on the tongue. All the faces shining in this picture not yet taken. Then, click, the shutter goes. Here's from a little later in that year in July. He dreams a lot. He dreams a lot and calls it thought. She likes to shop and calls it work. I've got so much to do today. 
In every way they're busy with vague hopes to get them through all the days that come and go, and here's the next. I love those opening lines. He dreams a lot and calls it thought. She likes to shop and calls it work. Pretty good. Here's another from earlier in July. The negative shows all reversed. The negative shows all reversed. White irises and black eyeballs. Hair and ancient gray. Rough trees are white lace against dark sky. And her face is the face of fury with white, white lips and small black teeth. Only the curve of the smile is the same. And finally, and this is relevant, uh, she talks about being a muse, and she was married to Robert Creeley for some time, and uh, said that being a muse is about the worst job description you could have, because basically it means you sit around and watch the other person have all the fun. So, awkward and foolish, the woman who will figure in history as a great lover a woman of great passion, a poet's happy muse, lives her life like spending money, knows she's in the way, dies, and clears the path for conjecture. So a few daily poems from Bobby Louise Hawkins, who died at age 87. Her books are available. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this has been Poetry Spoken Here. So glad you could take some time to listen and be with us again next time when Poetry Speaks to You. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program is written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember... Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetry spoken here at gmail.com. <laughs>